Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Well, the markets continue to ignore or maybe they're embracing all the bad economic news that keeps coming out. The S&P closing the week at a new record high. The Dow Jones just barely off a record high. But while the stock market continues to rise, the dollar continues to fall broadly on the week. In fact, the euro now is above 114 and a half. It's at the highest level it's been since early February. So the currency market's not totally ignoring all the bad economic news, although I still don't think they have fully embraced what it means, because as I've said on this podcast before, the entirety of the dollar rally and the spectacular rally that it had was based on a fantasy, uh, based on a perception that had nothing to do with reality. And even though all this bad economic news is coming out, the currencies traders haven't fully accepted what it means, because if they did, the dollar would be a lot lower than it is. But the trend now seems to be in place for a lower dollar. And as more and more bad news comes out, expect the dollar to get hammered until ultimately it falls more precipitously as reality sinks in. Because for now, even though we get this bad economic data, hope springs eternal and everybody still thinks the Nest data set is going to be better and validate this bullish scenario, a higher interest rate scenario. That's why all the bad economic news is always prefaced by the words unexpected. And on Friday, we got a trifecta of bad economic news. Uh, All three reports uh, were well below estimates. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the good news or supposed good news that came out on Thursday regarding the weekly jobless claims, which plunged uh, in the prior week. And people were expecting a bit of a rebound from the 265,000 claims submitted in the prior week. The consensus was for a bounce back to 276. And instead, we went down another thousand to 264. And this is the lowest number of weekly jobless claims in 42 years. 
right? Of course. So this got everybody excited, right? We got a great economy. We got a great labor market because nobody's getting fired, right? The fewest number of people getting fired in 42 years. Now, on the surface, maybe that is good news. But of course, I always want to try to look beneath the surface and ask the questions that nobody else does. Why? Why is it that so few people are being fired? I mean, is is this market, is this labor market so strong? It's stronger than anything we've seen in 42 years. Is the U.S. economy the strongest it's been in 42 years? Not at all. So why would so few people uh, be getting fired? And I think the answer is because so few people are getting hired. You see, you can't get fired from a job until you get hired on the job in the first place. I talked about it on a recent podcast The fact that such a large percentage of the jobs that are created every month, according to the government, are from the birth death model, which is where the government assumes that a certain number of businesses are created every month and that those businesses hired people. Now, they have no proof that these businesses ever were created, let alone hired people, but they're just assuming assuming that it's happening. And the assumption is based on their belief that the economy is strong. And since we have a strong economy, it's only natural to assume that new businesses would be starting up. But what if, as I've been saying for a long time, that's not true? What if the economy is, in fact, weak and rather than new businesses starting up, existing businesses are closing down or just that these businesses are not starting up? Right. That we're not getting all the new business creation that government politicians are assuming is happening. Well, that means that there aren't nearly as many jobs being created if these businesses are not really forming. And to me, that's a better explanation of why the number of people collecting unemployment is so low. You see, normally, if a lot of people are being hired, there are going to be a lot of people who are being fired. Right. I mean, because not everybody that you hire is going to work out. There's going to be a certain percentage of people that you hire that you realize it's a mistake and you let them go. So if you're getting a lot of hiring, you're also going to get a lot of firing. But we're not seeing a lot of firing. And that's probably because we're not actually getting a lot of hiring. The government is just making these numbers up based on these assumptions. And of course, also, when businesses fire people, in many cases, they replace them. They hire new people uh, to take the job from the person who was not competent and wasn't doing a good job, so they got fired. But if we're not firing a lot of people, we're not going to be hiring a lot of people to replace them. So to me, that's a better explanation about why these numbers are so low, because you either got to say that the economy is so great, the labor market is so strong, that the fewest people in 42 years are being hired, which fired, which to me is a huge stretch because there's no way you can look at this economy and say it's the best economy we've had in, uh, in 42 years. What makes a lot more sense to me is the economy is so weak, right, that so few people are actually being hired that we're seeing a big reduction in the number of people being fired. Just the labor markets, you're not getting the normal turnover that you would get in a healthy economy because we're not generating the new businesses that we normally would. We're not generating the new hires that we normally would. And therefore, businesses don't have to uh, fire any of the people that they hired that really didn't do as well as they had anticipated when they originally hired them. So to me, 
it validates my perception that we're not creating nearly as many jobs as the government claims. So what's probably going to happen either at the end of this year or early next year, the government is going to have to revise down all these jobs that they claimed uh, existed because now they'll see no proof of them because the the unemployment claims are what they are. I mean, the government has that hard data because these are actually people going into an office or you know, online, whoever they do it these days, and they're actually filing for these unemployment claims. So those are accurate numbers, even though oftentimes they end up revising them a week later for some reason, they get it wrong and then they got to go back uh, and, and, and revise them. But they should be pretty accurate because it's based on actual claims that are filed, whereas these birth death assumption you know, well, it's an assumption just automatically, right? It says that it's an assumption. So you have to just assume that businesses were created, which is a big stretch. How do you know? And then you have to assume that these new businesses hired people because it's possible that there are some new businesses that are being created, but they're not hiring anybody. That the small businessman is doing everything he can to avoid actually hiring people. But let's go on to the economic news that came out on Monday. First up was the Empire State Manufacturing Index, which had been bad. I mean, last month, the March was actually down uh, 1.19, which was a very, very weak number. And the consensus was that it'd be up five, which is still pretty low, right? Positive five is uh, still a weak number, uh, not nearly as weak as a minus 1.19. And what we ended up getting was 3.09. And this was below estimates. In fact, it's the fourth month in a row that that index has been below estimates. And if you look again at the at, you know, beneath the headline, but you look at what's going on inside the report, both business expectations, which is uh, how do people feel about the business conditions going forward and hiring. Right. Both of those measures declined, declined from March to I mean, from April to May. So now, I mean, we're, we got a couple of months now out of the, the winter. We got April and May, and both numbers are weak coming out of the Empire State. Then we got industrial production capacity utilization numbers. These numbers were particularly bad. Uh, industrial production was supposed to be flat, right? And and it was down in the month of March, right? It was supposed to be flat, yet it was down again another 0.3%. Also, capacity utilization was down at 78.4 was the consensus, 78.2, which was below the 78.6 of the prior month. Again, you know, March again, April being worse than March. And manufacturing was supposed to rise slightly, Uh, 0.2. Instead, it was flat, uh, zero, no increase in manufacturing. In fact, in the industrial production in April, this is now the fifth consecutive monthly decline in industrial production. This is the longest losing streak that we've had in that data point since 2009. So again, here's another time where you got to go back to the Great Recession to find economic numbers as bad as the ones we're getting right now, supposedly on the doorstep of a Fed rate hike, because the economy is the strongest it's ever been. You know, we've reached, uh, you know, escape velocity and now the Fed can raise rates. Yet 
by all these measures, we're right back in the ditch. Also on capacity utilization coming in at 78.2 in April, that's the lowest since January of 2014. But if you go year over year decline, right, from April last year to April this year, you got to go all the way back to December of 2009 to find a year over year decline in industrial production that is as large as this, right? The Great Recession. But the number that really should have got people scratching their heads on Wall Street was the consumer sentiment number. That number was 95.9 in April. And the consensus was for it to hold pretty steady at 95.8. It came in at 88.6, right? Um, that is the lowest level since November of 2014. But more importantly, it's the biggest drop since December of 2012. But relative to expectations, right, relative to the number that everybody was expecting, the 95.8 and the 88.6 that we got, that was the biggest miss ever, right? So there's never been a time where they were more wrong on this indicator than they were in this most recent month. Now, again, if the job market is so strong, right, why are so many people, why are consumers, why is confident plunging? Now, some people are blaming that on the, uh, the rising gasoline price. And maybe that's the case. Maybe the entirety of the improvement in consumer confidence or sentiment had to do with falling gasoline prices, right? But now gasoline prices are rising. But get this. This was also an interesting part of consumer confidence. And it doesn't jive with the low unemployment rate and the low number of unemployment claims. The percentage of Americans who are worried about losing their jobs in the next five years has risen to its highest level since March of 2009. So why would that be? If the labor market is so tight, if the unemployment rate is so low, why are so many Americans worried that they're going to get fired? See, maybe because they see in their own companies that nobody's being hired, right, and that businesses are not good and that, you know, they might be laid off. So that number, that sentiment, the fact that so many people are worried and, you know, if unemployment was really low, right, people wouldn't be as worried about losing their jobs because they know they can quickly find another one. But maybe people realize how scarce the employment opportunities really are. But, you know, the market really continues to ignore the, the meaning here because people are still when they're talking about this, OK, the economy, it's not quite as strong as we thought. So maybe the Fed will raise in September rather than June. Right. I mean, there's only a three month difference there. I mean, what difference does it make? You know, if the economy is strong, you know, just raise them in June. Why wait till September again? Just raise them now or raise them last year. Right. The, what they're not wanting to accept is that this whole bubble is rapidly deflating. Right. I said this from the very beginning when I was talking about the taper. I said if the Fed tapered QE, if they actually ended QE, we would go back into recession. And in fact, I said on my last podcast, we're on the doorstep of recession right now. It is very possible that Q2 is going to be negative. We know Q1 is going to be negative when they do the revisions. So you only need two consecutive quarters 
of negative GDP and you're officially in a recession. Now, unofficially, I think we've been in a recession for the entire recovery. I think the entire recovery is phony because the government is uh, not accurately measuring inflation in the GDP deflator. Right. And in fact, last quarter, they actually created a GDP inflator because they claimed that we had deflation and they had to inflate the nominal GDP to get to the real rise that the government is trying to pretend occurred. But we are so close, technically, to another recession. And, and then what's going to happen? Because, you know, nobody has forecast any of the recessions, right? The Fed has not forecast a single recession, right? The Fed is always forecasting uh, economic growth. And then whenever there's a recession, you know, it, it, it's something that happened contrary to what the forecast was. So if there is going to be a recession, and if we're already in one, uh, it would be historically uh, consistent with precedent for the Fed not to know it, right? In fact, when the Great Recession began in December of 07, nobody knew it. I was on television with people in early 2008. We're talking about how great the economy was, and it was already in a huge recession, and they didn't know it. And so it makes sense that, you know, if we're in a recession now, the same people that didn't recognize the last recession, even though it had begun, don't recognize this one. Uh, I don't know what it's going to take. I mean, is everybody waiting for Janet Yellen, right, to give the official OK to realize that the economy is weak? Because, you know, as I said, the dollar is drifting down almost daily, uh, but it is not imploding, which is really what it would be doing if people really grasped uh, the reality of this situation. Because if we are in a recession, there can't be a rate hike. How is the Fed going to raise interest rates if the economy is in recession, right? It can't do that. And at some point, it has to acknowledge that maybe these numbers for employment aren't accurate, especially if they have to go back and revise all these 200,000 plus numbers and just take away a lot of the birth death assumptions that were, were built into that cake. The only thing that might have to change is the unemployment rate. And I do think that that unemployment rate is going to start to tick up at some point, probably some point this year. Right? And so that number is, too, going to go higher. But once we get this uh, you know, recession, or if we get the economy just skirting on the edge of a recession, right? if we just get economic growth in Q2 that's below 1%, right? So technically, it wouldn't necessarily be a recession, even if we got negative 1% in Q1. But if you take the first quarter and the second quarter and combine them in that environment, you could have a negative first half. Meanwhile, everybody is still holding out the assumption that we're going to have about 3% growth, 2.83%. But if we have even 0% in the first half, We'd have to have 6% in the second half to average three. There's not, again, there's no chance that is going to happen. So regardless of this number, I think at some point after the end of the quarter, people are going to have to accept the fact that there is no rate hike coming, right? And, and now the only question is, you know, what does the Fed do, right? Because if we're going back into recession, they can't cut rates when they're already at zero, Right. I mean, can we try to do negative rates? I think the most likely thing is they ramp up QE, QE4, because remember, the Fed always maintained they were data dependent. Right. So they can always come up with an excuse. They've always said QE can be tapered up or tapered back. 
right? And so even though they got down to zero, and by the way, the Fed's balance sheet is still above four and a half trillion. So it's not like they've shrunk it, right? So they didn't make any progress towards reducing the balance sheet. And if they do QE3, then the balance sheet is going to take off and go into a whole new level. We'll take out uh, five trillion, six trillion, and that's going to bring us closer again to this real crash because that is going to put massive downward pressure on the dollar. That's going to cause a much bigger spike in oil prices, which continued, uh, you know, to to move somewhat higher. We closed just under sixty dollars a barrel, fifty nine eighty eight. Uh, but we're trending up there again on oil prices. And as we saw with this consumer confidence, if it's gasoline prices that determine whether the consumer is confident or worried, if the dollar tanks because the Fed's not going to raise rates, then oil prices uh, jump up. And then we know what's going to happen to consumer confidence. It's going to plunge. And I mentioned already, you know, we got the retail sales earlier in the week. Pretty much the only place that consumers were spending more was at the grocery store. And it's not because they're eating more or eating fancier foods. It's just because the the basics are costing more. So they're having to spend more money on food. They're also having to spend more money on gasoline. Maybe they're not spending as much as they spent a year ago, but they're spending more than they spent in the winter. You know, and I can't believe, too, that people are still waiting for this big bounce. I still hear people talking about, well, we're going to get this effect from the cheaper gases, gas prices. They're still waiting for that effect. It's over. Cheap gas prices are over, uh, even though they're still cheap, they're now rising. So whatever benefit the economy was going to get, we got in the first quarter, and that was a negative quarter. Yet people are still optimistic that somehow this is going to magically materialize uh, in the second quarter or the third quarter. It's not going to happen, and relatively soon, reality is finally going to start to set in on the vast majority of people that have been so wrong for so long about the U.S. economy and the effectiveness of Fed monetary policy. 